0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Um,
1: do you want to repeat the question? Do you mind? I think you better repeat it. I think we are more important. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she asked me to repeat the question. So the question she asked was if, um, if there's different benefits from sitting, standing, uh, walking, meditation um, like that. Uh, so... Uh, I was saying in general that all of them develop really positive qualities. So all of them develop concentration. All of them develop mindfulness. All of them develop equanimity. um, All of them develop all of these different qualities. Um, And different of them are beneficial for kind of translating into that particular activity, meaning like, as I was saying, with the walking meditation, that makes it more likely that you'll be able to develop Awareness during walking in regular life, uh, and walking meditation is particularly focused on the body you know like we 're using the body as the main object in the way that I was describing, so in general, for developing body awareness and in some ways like awareness also of any physical motion so uh, also it 's helpful to do things like you know becoming aware when you 're sweeping or when you 're washing dishes and stuff like that and um, I remember when I first started taking meditation uh, classes in the Urban Meditation Center in Cambridge. Um, the teacher would give us every week exercise of picking one daily life activity that we did uh, and try to bring awareness to that activity. Try to bring mindfulness to that activity. So one time you could pick like brushing your teeth. One time you pick washing the dishes. One time you pick making your bed. You know, some habitual easy thing that you do and then try to bring mindfulness of the body to that experience, right? So, meaning like walking is sort of in that spectrum, so it helps in that way. Um, The sitting meditation, uh, if you're developing, trying to develop like deep, deep, deep concentration states, it's um, usually the posture that's more oriented towards that because there's a stillness of the body also in that. Um, And... For many people in the sitting meditation, because you're not doing stuff as much as you are in the walking, then it's easier to notice uh, like emotions or thoughts, sort of more subtle things, I guess you could say. But it's totally possible to notice those things in other postures also. So uh, all are good, but uh, yeah, that's a little breakdown. But you can also check it out yourself and see, because di- you know people notice different benefits from doing different of them. So, of course, as a Dharma teacher, I'll say, do all of them, you know, practice all of them. But, um, I mean, sitting meditation in some ways, you could think of it as like, it's like the lab, you know. It's like, what if I'm doing, just like sitting here doing nothing, and then it's like becoming aware, and then you notice, okay, what are the things that kind of knock me off my seat, or what are the things that it's difficult for me to open to? So, because it's the least complicated in some ways, um, it's very beneficial in that way. Because you might not notice that as much if you're walking, if there's stuff that, you know, it's developing something a little different. Yeah. Others? Questions?
2: I'm just wondering if you thought that it's better to do, uh, if you could, meditate twice a day or one time for a period of time? Is, it, is there a, sort of an ideal or an optimum suggested period of time?
1: Of course, always better if you can do it twice, right? <laughs> Beginning of the day, end of the day, something like that. Um, but if you can't do that, at least once is good. So, you know, predictable meditation teacher answer, like, yes, you know. <laughs> Probably if you asked your, like, physical trainer, like, should I exercise twice a day or, you know. Um, so yeah, many people find in the beginning of the day that it sort of helps set the tone, you know, of being more present during the day. Um, so it helps to build kind of a, a basis of collectedness and presence that serves them during the day, right? And then sometimes at the end of the day, people find like it's helpful um, also for just settling the mind and body, you know. And I mean, you can definitely learn things. You know, see all of the stuff, impermanence and dukkha, and everything that you need to see during those times. But um, sometimes, at the end of the day, people are like, "Oh, it just feels like taking out the garbage." You know, like I just sit there and I replay my day, and I remember all the conversations I had, and I should have said this, and you know. So it can feel like taking out the garbage, but actually, it's good to take out the garbage, isn't it? You know. <laughs> so even if it feels like, "Oh, this is not profound," is there anything happening here? In some ways, sort of allowing yourself to be present with all this stuff that otherwise we don't notice, work with, release, you know, that also is good. So um, that's something good about end of the day. Also, some people just find either, you know, they're a morning or an evening person, or based on your particular schedule, you know, like in the morning you have to get your kids ready for school so it's harder to do you know. but then in the evening you have a little time or so it's kind of individual but uh, bo- both are good and if you can do twice a day it's great uh, like one teacher um, uh, Ayakima who's a German who was a German Buddhist nun, her recommendation was to do um, two sittings of one hour each so I just mentioned that as like a good high bar for it you know <laughs> Now, most people don't do that. Although, I will say that one friend of mine who's a meditation teacher told me that he heard that suggestion and he thought that that meant that everyone did that and so he just did that and he still does that to that day all the time. So, you know, there's a lot of benefit from that. If you're able to put that much time and if you're interested enough, then that's great. Um, if you're not, once a day is great. If you can't do an hour, do 45 minutes. If you can't do 45 minutes, do half an hour. If you can't do half an hour, okay, you could do a little less, but... For me, I would recommend if you're really a beginner, start. You could start smaller, 15 minutes, then maybe raise it to 20 minutes, then 25 minutes. Uh, I think half an hour is a good amount of time. Um, oftentimes, the first maybe 10 minutes of the sitting just feels like a settling inness. So if you only sit for 15 minutes or something, then you don't get as much, you know, benefit. But um, it still is good, whatever you can do, do. But if you're asking for a recommendation from me, I would say at least half an hour once a day. If you can do that twice a day, great. If you can make it 45 minutes, greater. Yeah. And actually, along those lines, I'll say secondarily that um, you know, the daily sitting meditation practice is good, but also in some ways building in many different points in your day in which you are uh, remembering to be awake is also good. So I feel like we can take a page from our brothers and sisters in Islam who have uh, orthodox Muslims have a practice five times a day of rolling out the prayer mat, knowing which direction is Mecca, and then uh, praying in that direction. Actually, a friend of mine was just in some Muslim country, which he took a picture of the hotel room, had a like an arrow, like which way is Mecca, you know. <laughs> so I was like, people will know, you know. Um, I bet there's an app for that, also, you know, like Mecca Finder or something. But, um. So, like, what would that be like in your life if you found five points during the day in which you reminded yourself of what is important to you? You know, when you reoriented yourself from the busyness, the hecticness of the day, you know, towards uh, that which is meaningful for you. Whatever you want to call that, call it the Dharma, call it developing wisdom, call it the good heart, I don't know, you know, whatever is your way of of saying that at this point in your practice Uh, so that could be, like, okay, one point could be if you can have a morning sitting another point could be, like every day you have to walk to uh, the Caltrain or something, so on that walk you're going to practice being in the body just being present, right it could be at lunchtime or sometime in the afternoon trying to be mindful of eating, drinking a little bit it could be that there's an elevator in your, beginning, your building and so like, okay, when I push the elevator button then standing meditation begins. That's like the bell. Ding! Right? Then you step into the elevator and then still you don't have to do anything. The elevator is doing the work, right? Practice, right? Uh, it could be at the end of the day then uh, doing some metta practice. So we'll do a little bit this afternoon also. You know, you could even remember the people who you've met that day and wish them well, something like that. Or even as you're lying down in bed, just feeling the breath, feeling the body, just running through a scan, right? Something like that. So I think it's good to make the practice your own in this way. You know, look at your own life and what are the different logistics and circumstances and then uh, find even more than that daily sitting if you can. And these could be like, you know, little points, even a few minutes each like that, or doing a practice where... uh, when you come to a red light you just pay attention to one breath you know, or uh, yeah, many different creative ways to do it Um, so basically it's sort of like we have to engage with this, you know, to engage with this training, with this practice in some way and make it useful for you make it meaningful for you Um, and it's really one of the things that, you know, the Buddha also said this, it's very poignant this thing that's like no one can do this for you, you know like, no one else can give this to you. You can give people money, you can give people um, objects, you can give people love, but actually, each of us has to engage in the path of training, the path of wisdom, the path of love ourselves. We can definitely support each other and like be friends to each other and things like that, but at the end of the day, it's like up to you, you know, so... Encouragement, encouragement for engaging with the path, with the practice. Anyone else? Question? So, if um, <clears throat> i thought maybe to begin the afternoon, we'll do a little exercise uh, which is sometimes known as uh, vipassana out loud, practice out loud. So, for some people, this is very helpful to actually get a sense of what it's like to sort of track what's happening in this moment, in this moment, in this moment. So, what this will look like is you will have a partner. And I'd actually recommend to find a partner that you don't know. Um, Sometimes it's easier to do this with someone who's not your buddy or something. And the two people sit opposite each other. And uh, close your eyes and then the one person will just start to describe what it is that they're noticing. And you can describe it even in a more colloquial way like um, of what you're aware of. I will now demonstrate. So So now I'm aware of the breath. Now I'm aware of hearing sound. Now I'm aware of tension in the shoulders. Now I'm aware of the feeling pressure in the hands. Now I'm aware of tingling. Now I'm aware of sound. Now I'm aware of an image of people watching me. Now I'm aware of the feeling of smiling. Now I'm aware of happiness. Now I'm aware of expansion, in the belly, and so on. So there's no wrong answers to what you're aware of. And whatever you notice is good. You can just report on that. Probably you will notice more things than you have time to say, possibly. So meaning, like, while I was constructing the sentence, now I am aware of there was, like, five different things that I, you know, tingling, hearing. So just say whatever happens to be top of mind. You know, you don't have to get all of them or something like that. Actually, this could be a good point to to mention this uh, little bit of Buddhist psychology practice, too. So what it is that, we, that makes up our, um, our life, or what we call our, uh, our life, our experience, and who we are, is actually this constant flow of arising experiences through six different senses. So the five senses are the ones that you learned in kindergarten. So let's see if we can find, get the five senses. Call out a sense. Smell. 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 Oh, a number. What? Sight. Sight, yeah. Taste. Taste. Touch. Here. Here. Yes. Okay. Very good. Uh, sixth sense. What is the sixth one though? Consciousness. The mind. Yes. The mind itself is considered a sense. A sense door actually. So they call it sense door in uh, Buddhism because the this experience of our life is actually um, consciousness meeting an object through this sense door. It's interesting this idea of sense door. Sense window you could say. Right. So uh, with the body, if there is consciousness and there is a sensation, then it's possible to have that experience right, of a bodily sensation. Uh, with consciousness and a working ear, then it's possible to have the experience of sound that arises. So that's the sort of combination of those things arising. And then what is our life is actually this like, quick flow of all these different experiences in succession. And it looks solid in some ways, much in the way that a movie looks solid. You know, a movie looks like real, but actually a movie is a bunch of different frames, right? It's a bunch of different pictures that are run together really fast. And that is if you even, you know, like you could make movies on smartphones and stuff, so then if you try to edit it, you can actually look at the different frames and cut and splice and put music in here and right, take out this one because you don't like how you look in that one, you know, stuff like that, right? So it's like that with actually what we consider to be ourselves, our life. It seems like this solid flow of experience, but actually it's happening very, very rapidly. Now, through meditation, you actually can develop your concentration, your ability to see such that you can see this arising and passing, Mostly, it's most likely that people are able to do that on retreat, honestly, because it does require like a very high level of uh, collectedness of attention, um, so if you're interested in that, you could check it out. Go and retreat and check it out see if I'm right or not. Um, so when we're describing when you're doing this like Vipassana out loud um, practice is just what's happening in the different sense doors. Right? So when I was saying you know, the breathing, that's the body sense door. Then hearing, right? then uh, it's describing the mind, like an image of people watching. Stuff like that, right? So you're describing what's happening in these different sense doors. Now, when you're actually doing the seated meditation, usually in this tradition the eyes are closed, and then usually you're not tasting or smelling so much stuff. So, then basically what's happening is three different sense doors. So, mostly what's happening is an experience of the body, experience of hearing, and experience of the mind. That's usually it, those three things happening. Boom, 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 boom. Now, the content of those experiences, there is a dizzying variety of them, but actually what we're more interested in is sort of the, the flow, the process flow, really. So this is a one of the big distinctions in how this, what this practice is about or how it is. So particularly with thinking, for example, usually the way we relate to thinking is we get totally engaged in the content of it. So it would be like if that thought arose, so... Uh, I was honestly doing this exercise. So it was like an image arose of people, you know, watching me, right? I.e., you guys. But it wasn't actually you guys, right? It was actually my image. And in fact, it's interesting when I noticed the image was of much fewer people (laughs) than are actually here. So, you know, it it wasn't reality. This is like my idea of what is happening, right? This is a particularly helpful one to notice because it happens all the time. That we have ideas in our head. We have perceptions. We have imaginations. We have ideas about something that's going on or that might go on or that did go on. And it may or may not actually correspond to uh, anything. You know, it's based on our own ideas and imaginations and so on. So there's more to be said on that that I'll say later. But um, anyway, that's sort of the preface. So be interested. And it's hard to catch thoughts. They're pretty slippery critters. You know, it's like quick But if you notice anything that's a, you know, there's a thought of this, then that's good. You could report that too. So that's what we'll do. And we'll just do it for maybe um, maybe like three or four minutes per person. So you sit up to the person. So the other person's job when this person is describing is just to witness. Uh, And you could sit eyes open or eyes closed as you uh, observe. And then you could also, uh, if you're interested, just sort of notice like a little bit what your own experience is as the person is describing. Um, So then... We'll do that for a few minutes, one person, and then switch in the other person. Yeah, question, Loki. Totally, yeah. Yeah, you can describe emotions. Um. And with emotions, you can describe them just whatever you notice. So it could be, you know, it was like, okay, feeling happiness, but then as dropped into that, then it was like, oh, expansion. You know, that the expansion is really what the feeling was of happiness, or even sense of smiling, like you can feel some change of energy. So uh, as much as you can get to sort of the direct experience of it is, is good. Yeah. Okay, game. Okay, so find a partner uh, and preferably a stranger, someone you don't know, so that it will be a fresh new experience. <laughs> and if you need a partner, raise your hand so that we can find each other. Okay, so whoever has the longest hair will get to speak first. You can do an assessment of that. Longest hair will speak first. Yeah, and you can introduce yourself, your name if you want, if you like. Okay, so first we'll just sit for a moment here. So just resting in the body, just feeling the breath. Okay, so longest haired person, uh, you can begin just describing your experience in this way. The other one can sit and listen. So, we'll just sit together for a moment. Okay, so the next person can start then. So we can thank your partner and we'll turn back to the group. So any observations from that exercise that you learned anything?
0: One thing I was just
1: I think hold it up now.
0: Yeah. Uh, we it was interesting how I, we were doing our particular way, which was a little bit different to yours. <laughs> uh, sorry. <laughs> So it just basically cut out the first sentence. That was it. Okay. Which for me was easier because it
1: felt like. You mean I am noticing part. Slower. Yeah. Okay. Right.
0: So we were just one word like hearing, listening thing. Yeah. Um, And then I kind of at one point was paying attention to like all the ways the partners were doing it, and like it seemed like a lot of different ways happening in the room. Yes. Like that looked completely opposite to what we were doing. Yes. Um. Anyway, that, that's interesting. Thinking mm-hmm. about how those have different experiences, but for me, one one weird thing I like have never noticed my that? forehead ever before in a meditation, mm. <laughs> and and like it was all I noticed. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't the only one. It was just like, why is my forehead keep coming up? Yeah, <laughs> this <there's> tension here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I wonder, like, if this particular meditation brings out a different e- awareness that you don't. I don't know, notice another, like that's what, like the question of how I, our different practices bring up different things. I right. Think that's kind of cool.
1: Yeah, cool. Yeah. Thank you. So, thank you, Sue.
2: I noticed that um, it was a lot easier for me to stay focused on what was happening, and I didn't have so much of the thought, yeah. wandering thought syndrome.
1: Yeah, yeah, because you're going to have to describe it to someone else otherwise, yes. Well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah,
2: but also because my intention was so focused on my senses. Right, right. My physical senses are...
1: Totally, whatever. yeah. Yeah, and actually that's part of the the purpose of this exercise is like, um, you, so we'll do a sitting next and actually see if you can bring that level of like, okay, my job here is to notice what is going on in the different senses. And then... Um, actually the describing it succinctly thing is is helpful uh, for that, like just one word, you know, when we're doing the labeling is helpful, just like hearing feeling this, this, this so, uh, yeah, that's, that's good otherwise sometimes we can be a little indulgent in like going off in the strains of thought and this and that yeah, 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 exactly
3: Okay. Um, I found this exercise terrifying. Mm. Um, so, I do somatic experiencing both in my work personally and professionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was terrifying for me here was I had to not only be present with the sensations in my body, but I had to give voice mm-hmm. to someone else who was bearing witness. Mm-hmm who I didn't necessarily have the same relationship with um, as part of like a close circle of friends. Right. And that made it almost more real. Mm. <laughs> um, and so a question that I've had throughout this day is how does my practice change because of my queer identity? And how, how is that influenced by the relationships around me? Um, and that's something I thought a lot about in this exercise uh-huh.
2: oh. Oh. Well, I noticed that I had a lot of resistance at first to speaking I can uh-huh. still feel it a little bit right now <laughs> uh-huh. um, because I just don't like to break silence during this kind of day usually um, but what I was struck by it's a little hard to exp- there's a little bit of a nuance it wasn't just the commonality in, in sort of what we were experiencing or how we were experiencing but it was some sense of not being alone mm-hmm. in this process mm-hmm. so it wasn't just the content it was like yeah I could have guessed that you know everybody feels their hands or mm-hmm. a certain thought or a certain deliberation but it was something about there was something just a very kind of I don't know, subtle but profound feeling of um, the just not being isolated and the and the commonality of our experience. And I remember, you know, a teacher, another teacher of mine, talking about the nature of delusion is isolation. Uh And I think that's what it is. (laughs) What Arena says. Um, It just made me kind of feel the breaking of that, I guess. Uh So, and I feel that speaking because I don't really usually like speaking in the group and. Breaking silence because I like my separation to some degree, and you know, cool. keeping the connection more with people I know. So, cool.
1: Thank That's you. Good. good. Okay. One more, and
4: then we'll. Um, I've done this exercise before, and I think what I, you know, I'm um, there's a terrifying aspect of it for me, too, in voicing, um, actually verbalizing it to somebody I don't know or do know. It doesn't matter. Um, but what, I'm, what I like about it is that in my sitting practice, I don't do a lot of specific noting, mm-hmm. actually saying mentally the yeah. notes of thinking, feeling, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, And but I, in my mind, I note it, but you know, but not. It's just part of the flow, Um, as opposed to actually stopping and saying, feeling, tingle. It's it's just like just part of the mind flow, Mm. Um, and this is actually a stopping and stating. And a focus mm-hmm. on that is happening right now. Um, and I think that brings a lot more awareness to it and a lot more focus. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I appreciate about this exercise. Great. Yeah, thank you. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, this, this noting technique, it really is um, of identifying in the moment as that sensation is arising, like what that is, you know, hearing or. Uh, tingling or something like that and then letting it go and another interesting dimension of using that as a technique and it's really just a technique to help develop awareness is there something uh, helpful you can glean sometimes about even the tone of that note so meaning you know you're hearing the word said in the mind of anger or uh, pressure or whatever and sometimes it's like um particularly if it's something like you don't want, for example, to be there. You're, you know, you can hear the tone of it, being like, anger, anger, you know. Like it's like pushing it away, or angry with the anger, or something like that. So that gives you some clue, like, oh, aversion, there's aversion here, right. Um, or sometimes it's sort of like very, there's a driftiness, you're starting to go into sleepiness, and there's like, you know, it's like not clear, or the word trails off, or something. So there's something about the, noting practice that helps to um, bring for some people they find it brings a different level of um, detailed awareness to both what is happening but even about the relationship to that object relationship to experience Right. and this thing about the relationship to experience is helpful uh, because in this flow of experience another slice of kind of dharma um, teaching is about noticing that in these different six sense doors, whatever the experience is, we experience as either pleasant or unpleasant, or either neither pleasant nor unpleasant. You could say neutral, right? And then the habitual tendency of the mind is when something pleasant is happening, to lean for that one. When something unpleasant is happening, is to push it away. And when something neutral happens, uh, sometimes it's just to space out. Right? So if we start to notice the relationship to what's happening, we can get get some sense of like how that what's what's up with that too, which can be it's a particular um, aspect that can be helpful to notice movement of mind in relationship to the object. So here again, it doesn't matter the content of the object, and um, very specifically, particularly with thought. Again, thought as an area that's very sticky. So usually we get very engaged in the content of the thought and thinking about something and so on. But in this practice, what we're doing is looking at more the process of, like, that a thought has arisen, right? uh, arising and passing away of thought. And then with conditionality, it's like, okay, it's a pleasant thought. There's a glomming onto, right? So if you wonder, why do I get like, sucked into fantasy and stuff? It's a pleasant thought. It's a pleasant thought. There's a leaning into it. There's an identification. Off you go, right? unpleasant thought a thought arises something you don't want and then there's an aversion to it uh, and so on so check it out and see if this is true this is uh, all of this is like uh, there's a word "ehipathiko," like come and see us, about this uh, the dharma you know come and check it out <laughs> see for yourself so all of this I put forth are sort of hypotheses for you to investigate in your own experience then it becomes both really interesting and then also uh, you see it for yourself and you know it for yourself Right, not just because somebody said it, who was sitting on a slightly elevated platform. Yeah, so. <laughs> suggesting it is true. Yeah. So all right, so let's do one uh, brief stretch, so we can, s- if you need to, stand up where you are and just feel your body stretching as you need to, trying not to whack people in your vicinity.) Mm. And then we'll sit down again. So we'll do a period of sitting practice. And now you can see if you can um, sort of apply in the same way that you did this out loud with someone else. Um, Just labeling to yourself, right? Labeling to yourself what it is that you notice in this. And again, don't feel like you have to label everything. Uh, you will, might notice more things than you label. And the main thing is about developing awareness. Right, so. so we'll begin. If it helps, you can begin by settling in with the body, feeling the body sitting. Feeling the body breathing. you can try with this labeling if you're saying it to yourself very quietly what it is that you're noticing just with one word hearing thinking feeling sadness, tingling, vibration, sound as this can even just note which of the three experiences which of the three sense doors is awareness noticing through at this moment hearing thinking or sensing sensing with the body so you could play with also only using those three notes hearing sensing thinking